Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up on the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least. But there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic, grain, and energy solutions born of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit fssystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, we saw a solid rebound in the soy complex on the day Friday to wrap up the trading week. Welcome to Market Talk. Thanks for being here with us once again as we take a look at the markets and talk about the issues impacting rural America. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Always a pleasure to be here with you. We have a jam-packed show for you today as we wrapped up the first week of trade in 2023. A rather rough week, but getting a little bit of a rebound on Friday as, again, really solid day in the soy complex overall quarter wheat uh, chop it around unchanged a few cents either side of it bit of a down day in livestock dismal export sales to talk about energy stock market saw a nice rebound on friday we're going to dive into a, a lot of different topics coming up here on the show today as we wrap up the week of trade in the markets ted seifert with zaner ag hedge he is going to join us coming up at segment two and three to really dive into what's happening in this market trade. Also coming up later in the show, we're going to talk more about that WOTUS final rule, more reaction coming out from ag and industry folks alike, talking about that final rule and some of the implications that we will see for farmers here, at least until we get a ruling on that Sackett versus EPA case coming up here sometime, we presume, in February. First up, though, here on the show, want to focus in on these markets. That was the big story we watched here this week. Ryan Moe of StoneX in for Arlen Suderman here today with some market analysis. We talked to Ryan around midday on Friday, got his thoughts and what he was seeing in the trade, especially in that soy complex and the nice rebound that we saw on Friday. And he highlights a few things that he is watching. We also talk about the trade gearing up for the WASDI report coming up on the 12th and more. Here's Ryan of Stone X. Rebound is definitely the word for it here in soybeans. It's been a really, really rough start to the new year. And so to see a market recover uh, on the fourth day after three really hard down days is not to be much of a surprise. Probably the biggest story over in soybeans is going to be how well and how strong soybean meal has stuck in there despite the bad news coming from the soybean and soybean oil markets. Meal continues to be strong, something that is notable. Even though we are in delivery, it kind of doesn't count the way that it otherwise would because of the January contracts being in delivery. But the January contract printed a $500 number today in soybean meal, which is super impressive to me. Corn is really fading here. As the day goes on, all of those gains that they picked up is really starting to lose its steam. Right now, we're only up a half a cent, and we are just about a penny off of the lows for March corn here this morning. So corn bulls are 
not really fired up right now. We thought maybe they'd get a little bit of a, a bump here this morning, but boy, have they really faded off here as we've entered into midday. Definitely. Well, I know as well, Ryan, export sales out Friday morning. That was nothing to write home about there either to start off uh, here in the new year. Export sales were a total bummer. Not anything new as far as news is concerned with uh, disappointing export sales, but boy, missing the estimate the way that they did in corn. That was really, really sad to see. Beans right in the middle of the estimate range. Not anything newsworthy to really pump up the bulls, which have already had a very tough week. Well, also outside markets, especially energy, stock market having a really good rebound here on Friday. I know that's all been a talking point here uh, this week. U.S. dollar. Any thoughts uh, in some of those outside markets with just some of the, the general risk on attitude, quote unquote, here today? Yeah, I mean, again, it's been a tough year so far in 23 for commodities. Crude oil trading right there around the $75 range. That seems to be a pretty good range in this young man's opinion. As far as the outside markets here, we always want to focus on what's going on with the U.S. dollar. The U.S. dollar is a little bit weak here this morning, which is usually bullish for grains, um, but a little bit of weakness here in the U.S. dollar and looking at how far we've come from those highs set back in September is is quite significant, and that will matter to the grain industry here uh, at some point throughout the next crop year. And I think overall, real quick, we got to keep in mind, WASDE report, January World Agriculture Supply and Demand Estimates coming up here next week. I would tend to think that traders, probably as we get into next week, as we're going to be watching headline news, weather, but also probably just kind of gearing up for that report, which typically can be a pretty big report, Ryan. Yeah, it's one of the most volatile reports of the year. Traders want to go into those types of reports as neutral as they possibly can. They want to, especially with the number of unknowns that we have out there uh, today. So they are going to want to go into this report as a, uh, as, as a neutral party. Lots of people believe that the U.S. corn crop has gotten bigger here over the last few months but I don't know how many people are willing to bet the farm on that estimate. And again, that's Ryan Moe of Stonex out of the Minneapolis office in for Arlen Suderman here today talking markets as we again saw a really strong day in the soy complex on Friday. Well, of course, we're watching South American weather. That's a big storyline here this time of year. Brazil could be looking at some big crop numbers this year. Ryan Martin, ag meteorologist out of Indiana, says the weather has been very good for growing crops. Brazil is probably in about as good a shape as anybody could have hoped for going into this year. I think that the crop is going to be just fine as we move forward. They've gotten timely rains and they've actually skirted some of the most extreme heat. So Brazil, in my estimation, particularly the key producing areas of Mato Grosso, Mato Grosso de Sul, Goiás, even Minas Gerais, picking up decent moisture here over the course of this season so far. We've talked about it kind of off air, but no news is good news when it comes to this kind of situation in Brazil. And so I really think that the focal point on weather really needs to go a little bit farther south. On the flip side, Argentina has been struggling with intense heat and little moisture. 
so far it's been a dry season in Argentina. We're talking about backing up corn and soybean production. I agree with that. There were some good rains coming out of the New Year's holiday weekend in Argentina, but with heat re-emerging here in the next 7 to 14 days, a lot of what moisture fell is going to evaporate quickly, and we only see minor precipitation here in the short term. So my area of concern is going to continue to be Argentina on a drier scale. I think we're looking at crop conditions worsening there, likely as we head closer to harvest. And Martin says there's one weather feature to keep an eye on regarding the potential for improvement in Argentina. The question is how fast it takes place. It appears as though maybe the La Nina is slightly weakening right now in the central Pacific. If that's the case, you would expect Argentina to see a little bit of a break in this hot, dry dome. But at this point, if we're just starting to see the effects of the weakening in La Nina, we're still saying that most of the break in this pattern is going to come after the crop comes out. So my concern here is that we just too far behind the eight ball to see a lot of improvement in Argentina. Rains now have to be talked about as basically stopping additional losses. And that's what the market is going to look at here between now and the end of January, early February. And again, that's ag meteorologist Ryan Martin. All right, coming up next, we are going to talk markets, get analysis with Ted Seifert of Zaner Ag Hedge. We'll be back with more market talk on the way right after this. Stay up to date and listen to past episodes online at markettalkag.com. Now, back to Market Talk with Jesse Allen. Well, as we wrapped up the first week of trading on Friday for 2023, we saw a bit of a rebound, especially in that soy complex, a strong day there. Mixed action in corn and wheat, down day in livestock, rebound in the outside markets. But we have just a, a lot going on right now in the market trade here as we get set for the January WASDE report coming up next week and more. Let's dive into the week of trade that we saw this first week of 2023. Joining us today, our good friend Ted Seifred, Saner Ag Hedge, is with us. Ted, good to have you back on the show, buddy. Happy New Year to you. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, Happy New Year's, Jesse. I'm doing great. I hope you're doing well too. I'm doing good, doing good. And, uh, you know, I, I hadn't been, uh, I've been doing better than the markets for most of this past week. But then Friday, we come back in. Decent little recovery day, especially in that soy complex. But man, Ted, this has just been a overall been kind of a rough week for commodities to start off the new year. And I know there's been a lot of longs uh, getting out of the markets here and there. I, there's just been a lot swirling around this commodity trade, Ted. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're right. Uh, we had fun liquidation really to start off the year. And it wasn't low volume holiday trade uh, like we had seen for the last two weeks. It was some pretty high volume. So these were uh, some very um, decisive trades, really. I mean, it, it was under, we were under a lot of pressure. And then, you know, typically uh, after three days of fund liquidation, a lot of times they will take a bit of a break. That's when your dip buyers come in or whoever has been selling it in the last few days, taking a little bit of profits on a Friday in front of a, uh, a weekend where we're still trading a weather market. We still have Argentinian forecasts that we're kind of hanging on every day. Uh, and, you know, that did benefit uh, the market on Friday with the Argentinian forecast getting a little bit drier as well. So, yeah, beans found some strength. Uh, they took back uh, a good portion, about, almost about half of uh, the losses for the week, but still a pretty, pretty big down week and not a really good look on a chart for a weekly chart. 
Um, although we did barely, we, we did scratch out a hold of, of that weekly trend line, uh, which again is kind of what was one of the things that was encouraging those dip buyers. But we'll see what happens next week. I, mm-hmm. I'm going to say that this week feels a lot different than what we've been doing for the past roughly six months, Jesse, uh, where you have a big down day or maybe even a big down day and then another day where we're down just a little bit. And then on that third day, you second or third day, you completely reverse that and take back all the losses. Um, you've had a lot of you know sell signals in, in the last few months or so that get immediately negated. Um, and you've had some buy signals that get immediately negated too. It's just been, you know, again, very sideways uh, trade for, for corn and soybeans in particular um, with, again, technical signals just kind of not meaning a whole lot. Mm-hmm. But this week we had that big sell signal that happened on Tuesday when the markets reopened. Uh, and then you did follow through, you know, and you, you, you had that three-day fund liquidation in both corn and soybeans. Uh, and wheat, you know, really doesn't look good either. So, you know, if this week, if this week has any indication of what's to come over the course of the next few weeks, you feel like we are going to get into some a little bit more directional trade rather than sideways trade. Um, which way that direction is, you know, I, I guess, uh, you know, we've been talking about Argentina weather, South America. Uh, there's a lot of things going on. But I don't know, you know, it, it really does feel like down might be the way. And it's not necessarily because of what's happening in the soybean market individually or the corn market individually. Uh, although I'm going to say corn export sales continue to really, really be a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was more macro, you know, this was more of a risk off uh, money managers not wanting to really feel uh, super invested in commodities. Uh, maybe that's uh, sort of the inflation off trade that we've been talking about as well. Um, or at least not as worried about inflation going forward, more concern about global demand, more concern about China, you know, a lot of COVID issues there. They've moved away from their, their zero COVID uh, policy, uh, which, you know, we were looking at as a good thing, like, hey, you know, that more demand coming in. But then you see this, this another big wave of COVID happening in China, a lot of uh, Chinese uh, self-quarantining. Mm-hmm. Um, EU moving to to put restrictions on Chinese uh, travel or uh, COVID travel bans, things like that. Um, China's not happy about that, and so yes, now we have a whole lot of concerns about that. And 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 I think the managed money really expressed those concerns uh, the first three days of the trade week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then again took a pause on Friday and that allowed those dip buyers to come in. So we'll see where we go. USD report, big, 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 big USD report uh, next week. That may usually has a, a pretty uh, a pretty big impact on markets. Mm-hmm. It, this year it may or may not, Jesse. And, and that I say that because, you know, like I said, sometimes we're trading grain fundamentals, sometimes we're trading macro fundamentals. And if we're trading macro fundamentals at the time, that report might only be good for a day or two. Uh, so we'll have to see what happens there. Um, we haven't seen the report estimates yet. I mean, I've submitted mine last night. Uh, I haven't seen the average trade guesses yet. Uh, I think those will come out this afternoon. Um, I, personally, I'm, I'm not really looking for a, a decidedly bullish or bearish report. Uh, sure. I think you're going to have a little bit of both. But, you know, I, I'm curious to see what the average trade guesses are. Well, and to your point, that January report, typically, usually very, very big report, very big market mover. But I like how you frame that up is the fact that, you know, if we're trading macro fundamentals, it may not matter. It would probably just be a instantly kind of trade it for a few minutes and then 
we forget it kind of thing. So I think that's going to be a great point and interesting setup to next week just to see how the market is acting heading into that report on Thursday, Ted. Yeah. So here's the thing, Jesse. If we get a report that's bullish, like let's say they they cut because uh, remember last September they cut production on corn and beans, you yeah. know, uh, sort of atypically. Yeah. Usually they wait till uh, uh, the October report, but <laughs> they felt like they had enough uh, data in September to do that. Um, and let's say they they that trend continues and they cut production more than than again. I'm going to say what the trade's expecting. I don't know what that is yet, but let's say mm-hmm. they cut production more than what our expectations are, whatever our expectations are. Uh, let's say our balance sheets are tight, are tighter than than expected, and you get this knee-jerk bullish reaction, but then they start selling into it. Um, and and if we can't, if we get a bullish report and we can't have a um, a really solid close that day, and then again follow through the next day or two, that's a really big warning sign. That's a really big red flag to say that okay, now we are getting bullish information in this market, and they're selling into it anyways. So now. It's not about the individual market fundamentals. They're looking for sell opportunities. They're looking to sell strength. That's bad news. We need to get priced. We need to get priced for a long time, you know, as far out as we can. Uh, because the fact of the matter, Jesse, is that we are trading at some historically high prices. This is the highest price soybeans have ever come into a new calendar year. You have to respect that. You know, it takes a whole lot of bullish news to keep markets rallying. It takes a whole lot of bullish fundamentals to keep markets up near uh not all-time highs but we're certainly on the highest end of the the historical range it takes a lot and you know at some point we might have a situation where we still have a fairly bullish fundamental outlook it's just not getting more bullish and you look at the price ranges that we would normally be trading in and you got to say we're we're not only on the higher end of that, but probably above that range. So you could get a sell-off, even though fundamentals aren't getting tremendously more bearish or less bullish, they're just not getting more bullish. Uh, and, and again, you look at that South American crop, uh, soybean crop about to come online, you got to say, ooh, you know, our, our, our export sales time for, for beans might be really very limited at this point. Yep. Um, at some point, that shoe will drop. It's just a question of when. And we've gone for six months with a very indecisive market, you know, uh, with with a, a slight lower bias in corn and a slight higher bias in beans. Uh, but at some point, we will break out of this this massive level of consolidation up at very high prices, and we will go one way or the other. Uh, and I got to say, the odds are on down, you know, not to say that we couldn't have one more hurrah to the upside, but, you know, the time, the clock is sort of ticking on that for South American weather. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if that's not going to be what's due it, I'm not sure what would. And then you say, okay, well, you know, um, yeah, $12 beans, is that more reasonable? Or, you know, five and a quarter corn. And if that's the case, you know, those are still good prices. But keep in mind, we've paid a lot for uh, for inputs for corn in particular. This is the most expensive crop we've ever grown. Uh, and yeah. you've got rates coming up, you know. So there's a lot of risk out there if these prices go away. And, and so you got to be cognizant of that. And, and I, I really think you got to be doing things to to protect that. 
Well, definitely great things to think about, and we talk about it a lot on this show, Ted. Got to protect that downside risk and got to protect that bottom line. So definitely a lot of things to consider if you're looking at these markets here, especially ahead of this January Wednesday report. We're going to continue our conversation with Ted Seifert of Xander Ag Hedge. Coming up here after the break, we'll get into the livestock markets. I want to talk about this wild meal market as well. All that and more is coming up as we'll be back with more market talk on the way right after the break. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency. So you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit FSPropane.com for more information. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And thanks for joining us here today on Market Talk. Jesse Allen with you here and our guest analyst today on the show, Ted Seifert with Zaner Ag Hedge. Let's continue our conversation with him here today. Ted, another thought I saw as well on Friday that I think is uh, just an interesting note, possibly the strength of this bean meal market. We've talked about it, printing over $500 in that January contract. I know it's a delivery, but still, that's just that's wild to me, Ted. Yeah, meal's been very strong. And, and then on you know Friday, the meal was certainly the leader, January contract in particular. Uh, but even if you go out to the May, uh, you know, up $9 or so, that is a really good day for meal. Um, yeah, there's demand for meal. You know, I mean, that a lot of times you will get rallies in soybeans. And, you know, even if we have a balance sheet that's not especially tight, and, and you know, as of right now, the last balance sheet we saw was a fairly tight balance sheet for, for soybeans. But, you know, we uh, will get what, ha- what I call a meal deal, right? Where we'll get tightness in the meal market, meal will take off. That's encouraging the crush to expand, although you know we can't really just do that on a, on a drop of a dime. So that meal can, can really make its presence known. And so it's interesting to see what meal has been doing here. Um, whether it's able to continue on, I'm not sure. You know, we talk a lot about uh, you know, the animals that we have out there. And, and we just recently had a lot of weather issues. Uh, we've seen uh, uh, hog weights up sharply, up over six pounds uh, in the last mm-hmm. week, which means we're starting to back up on supply. And that's a big reason why the, the hog market's kind of fallen very sharply this week. Uh, but if we start to back up on supply, then the question is, okay, what are, what are our needs going to be for feed? Um, and you think about poultry. And if we're backing up on pork supply, which is the most direct competitor, to poultry, you know, do we really need to continue to push that at high levels? Um, and then for cattle, which is more of a corn thing, but for cattle, we we already know that we're going to see our production drop pretty dramatically through the first three quarters of next year. So then you really wonder, okay, you know, are these higher prices in meals is that ultimately going to be rationing some demand, which actually might already be rationing itself? So you know, it's great to see that strength in the meal, Jesse. But you wonder how long that can last and how long that will be a driving factor for the soybeans. 
Very, very true. Well, you mentioned the hog market. I want to move there. Uh, you, you, hit it, you hit it on the head. Well, I, yeah, I don't know if we really want to talk about it or not, but man, rough week at hogs, Ted. And I know you and I were chatting before we went on the air, just how, how ugly the charts are starting to look. And it, hogs, I, I think we need to maybe wave a warning flag here a little bit. Yeah, uh, you know, this week, and it actually even started at the, the end of last week uh, before the New Year's holiday. Um, this looks like what we did in the middle of September when we had just a massive fund liquidation. Uh, we were able to find some footing and bounce back eventually, but yeah, this doesn't look good. You know, two things going on in the hog market. We had that weather, uh, and that meant that we kept, it kept some hogs from going to market, kept them on feed longer. We saw that big gain in weights, but most importantly, what we didn't see was a big jump in the pork cutout values when marketing slowed fairly dramatically. So that's a, a, that was disappointing. It's kind of a telling sign that maybe that domestic retail demand isn't very hot and heavy right now. And then on top of that, you know, Friday morning, because of the delayed export sales, weekly export sales, you have a massive cancellation, massive, massive cancellation. Mm -hmm. And the big culprit, and it wasn't just Mexico, but the big culprit being Mexico, that's our number one uh, uh, trade partner for pork. That's not good. And you wonder if there were some market participants, probably were, that knew about that earlier in the week, which was part of the reason why we had that sell-off. So maybe, maybe the last five or six sessions, this big precipitous fall off that we've seen in hogs, maybe that's coming to an end. Uh, but man, it's it's just been a free fall. Uh, and there's been some rather negative fundamentals that have kind of factored into that. So now we're stuck with the idea that, you know, pork cutouts were down pretty sharply this week. We've got a fair amount of upfront supply. That domestic demand uh, is a little bit questionable. Our export demand is now really very questionable. Um, uh oh, right. And minimally, that Feb contract has a gap in the chart down just above 79. I think we'll have enough momentum to go and fill that gap. But I'm wondering if we can fill that gap. Maybe we can find some footing and try to bounce back. Um, and you wonder if that range that we set between mid September and, and the first couple of trading days of October. Maybe we continue to wildly chop within that range. Uh, but if you break 76 in fat logs, you, you got a big problem. On the cattle side, I know cash trade's been taking its uh, sweet time this week to really get anything going. And then just in general, a lot of folks still have their bullhorns on in this cattle market as we move into 2023. Do you have yours on? What are your thoughts with what you're seeing in cattle right now, Ted? <sighs> I think when we talk about cattle, you got to really take a big step back and look at the bigger picture um, because ultimately that's what's going to determine the prices of, of, of beef and, and of cattle because we know what's kind of occurring on the supply side. And that's been something that we've talked about for a really long time. It's been factored in the market, you know, over that time, right? We know that there's going to be a, a pretty significant drop off in production throughout the first three quarters of next year, minimally. Right. So that's why we're up, you know, at some higher levels or near the highs uh, in the cattle market. Um, domestic demand has, to this point, been really rather good. You've got, um, uh, especially the select cuts, you know, at the highest levels they've been since, you know, right before the Christmas holiday, which is a, is a big buying period, right? Uh, it's a big demand period. So mm -hmm. that's good to see. But then what happens, like I said, broader picture, if we are to see a bigger sell-off in the stock market, we do slip into this sort of global recession that everybody's talking about. And if that is the case, then you do worry about that domestic demand really starting to tail off. And if that domestic demand starts to tail off, 
even with the, the shorter supply, that means that we're trading at higher prices. Because right now the market is assuming that we, you know, we know that 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 or that production's falling off, but we're assuming that demand's going to be there. If there's a question on demand, then we'll have to readjust the paradigm again. So uh, cattle are going to you're going to have to look at the, a real broad picture, I think, for cattle for a, for a little while. Um, you also got to track that supply because what happens if if those believe uh, um, the supply uh, or the drop in supply, the, the drop in animals that we believe is going to be there. Well, what if it's not quite to the extent that that the market's factored in? So that is something I kind of don't think that's going to be the case. Again, I think the demand is going to be the biggest question mark for for cattle going forward. Right now, it looks good. But if you have a bigger problem with domestic or global economies, things like that, if people get afraid of spending money, then they won't be buying. They won't be spending up for those those uh, pricier cuts of meat. And then we got then then we're too high. We got just a couple minutes. Crude oil around seventy four dollars a barrel. It's been an interesting week on the crude side. Any thoughts there, Ted? Yeah, you know, crude was what really kind of started the whole risk off, uh, or was the, the first telltale sign of the risk off uh, when we got into this this first week of the new year. Uh, but then it really did find some footing towards the end of the week. I'm glad you brought it up. I'm, I'm glad you brought up crude because I'm going to tie this back into the grains here real quick. Uh, the crude fundamentals, I'm going to say, aren't terribly less bullish than what they were when we were up near our highs or even like when we were up near 120. Now we're trading 74, 75 in crude oil. So, you know, what's changed? Um, and, and a lot of that is the idea that, you know, we've gone from a very hot period of inflation to we still have inflation. It's just cooled off. Uh, pretty dramatically compared to what it was, at least by the numbers that were given by the government. Um, and you say, okay, well, we've completely decimated or depleted uh, our strategic oil reserve. At some point, you know, the U.S. government is going to need to fill that back up. So these should all be reasons why we're going higher, yet we're not. But then you say, well, crude is really actually trading towards the higher end of its normal range. Normal range, in my opinion, is uh, between 45 and $75, and we're at the high end of that. So you say, well, we are in a bullish scenario for crude, and therefore we're at the higher end of the range. So that makes sense. Maybe it doesn't justify 120 or 140, right? So I want to use that to parallel to the grains markets. And, and you say, okay, the balance sheets that we have in front of us, at least what we saw back in December, again, we're going to get a big update on that uh, next week. But the balance sheets that we have in front of us are really fairly bullish for corn and soybeans. But do they mean we should be at you know, the historically high end of the range, or should they just be at the high end of a normal range, which I'm going to say uh, for beans, you know, the high end of that range is in 12, 1250 sort of area. And for corn, you know, let's call it five and a quarter, 550. And if that's the case, then there's a lot of this extra premium in the market that might need to come out at some point. So we've seen it happen in crude. We haven't really seen it happen to the same extent in grains. And I think a lot of that has been weather related because we had the late season dryness that happened you know, for our growing season and then, you know, follow that up with some Argentinian issues. And, and so that's kept that from happening. But again, if you have a situation where the fundamentals aren't getting more bullish, kind of like what happened in crude, you could see a pretty precipitous drop in the market and something that maybe not everybody understands. So again, I, I wonder if crude ultimately might be a roadmap for, for what happens in the grains. We shall see. Personally, I think crude has some room to balance, but it doesn't really act that way. 
Um, we might not get a good run in crude until the government does stop it, step in and start refilling that strategic oil reserve. Uh, and we've already violated some of the prices that they said they would start doing that at. So, and they haven't. So, I, you know, that's, that's a big question mark. Well, we'll wrap up our conversation on that note. Ted, if folks want to reach out to you, get some advice there at Zayner, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely, Jesse. You can reach me directly at 312-277-0113. You can find us at the, on the web at www.zaner.com. You can sign up for our newsletter or read more about us. And then also I'm on the Twitters at the Ted Spread. We appreciate the time, buddy. Thanks so much for joining us with that. Ted Spreads or Ted Seifred. See, the, you got me thinking about your Twitter now. I'm going to have to. It works, right? <laughs> Ted Seifred, Zader Aghedge, our guest today. Thanks for joining me. Have a great weekend, buddy. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me, Jesse. Yep, we'll talk soon. You have a great weekend, too. All right, coming up next, before we wrap up the show, we're going to take a look at more reaction to EPA's final WOTUS rule and a few other news headlines. We'll be back with more Market Talk of the Way right after this. market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk here today. Thanks again to Ted Seifried with Zayner Aghedge for joining us here with Market Analysis as we wrapped up the week of trade on Friday. Also, Ryan Moe of StoneX joining us earlier in the show with a little bit of uh, market analysis as well. Definitely uh, an interesting week in the markets and something that we're going to be keeping our eyes on here as we shift into the week ahead with the January World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates Report coming up here on Thursday. So that's going to be a big day, a big report, uh, a few unknowns possibly with that report. Uh, typically, we can get some surprises with that January report. It'll really help to set the stage for the year ahead as well. So I know traders are going to be watching that very cautiously as we head towards Thursday. Well, there's a lot to be concerned about regarding the final waters of the U.S. rule that was released by the EPA at the end of December. And that's according to agricultural law professor Roger McCohen. There are a couple of aspects that farmers should really be concerned about, and one involves the issue of adjacency. Uh, a wet area on your farm could be connected to a WOTUS by being adjacent to it, and adjacency includes a significant nexus which can be established by a shallow hydrologic subsurface connection. Frankly, that means farm field drain tile, and practically all tile-drained farm wetland connects to an open ditch, which is a WOTUS. And that basically disqualifies farm wetland from being an isolated wetland that is not subject to federal jurisdiction. The other issue involves prior converted wetland. While it's not subject to regulation by the feds, the burden is on the landowner to prove that prior converted cropland is actually prior converted cropland and therefore not a water. Also, the final rule is vague enough to give the government regulatory authority over non-navigable ponds, ditches, and potholes. So this new final rule gives farmers a lot to be concerned about. Now, the Environmental Protection Agency and Army Corps of Engineers released that final rule again on December 30th, and it's something that we're going to be continuing to watch closely. More than 500 pages for ag groups to digest following the EPA and Army Corps of Engineers announcing that final rule. Reaction from Illinois Farm Bureau Director of Environmental Policy, Lauren Lurkins. What happens now is that this information, this 514-page document, it has to then move forward and be published in the Federal Register. When that happens, it, it could be this week, it could be next week. Um, it'll it'll be in the coming days, though. Um, that is what starts a clock. And in the language of the Federal Register itself, 
the rule would take effect 60 days from that publication date. So that's kind of why I'm, I'm a little bit focused on when it actually gets published. But the important thing for everybody to understand, I think there's two, two big themes here. One is this is a, a rule that will make farmer and landowner lives more complicated. However, it is not yet the, the law of the land. You know, not only does it have to be published, and it has a 60 day window, what will inevitably happen is that people will file legal challenges to this rule. And then we really need to look in our court system of our country and see, you know, in what states is it is it effective? Um, is it not effective or is there a stay really across the country? One of the reasons that, that this is so complicated at this point is that not only is the agency moving forward with this rulemaking, there is also currently a case before the U.S. Supreme Court, the Sackett versus EPA case, where the highest court in our land is going to decide these jurisdictional questions. So it, there's a very strong argument, in my humble opinion, that people could make in the federal court system saying we would like to stay the effectiveness until we find out what this Supreme Court is going to to say, if anything, on this topic. Now, Lurkid says interpreting the definitions of the final rule has been frustrating. You know, it's categories of jurisdictional water, and then it's a list of exemptions. Um, and, and there are some things that are not surprising. You know, the traditional navigable waters, um, tributaries are in. Um, that is something that, um, you know, it's not really clearly defined in the regulatory text. But there is some language in that big package that talks about rivers, streams, lakes, ponds, um, regardless of whether they flow directly or indirectly to another water, they're going to be in there. And so these can be natural, they can be modified, they can be structed, they can include ditches. And that's a huge element for us. I think the other thing that, that I'm kind of concerned about is sort of like an other waters category that is included. And these are things that are intra-state. So they, they exist within one single state, a lake, a pond, a stream, a wetland. Um, you know, that's a pretty big catch-all. And it no doubt would take this um, regulatory regime sort of even beyond, you know, what we've seen in, in the recent past. And she sees another big issue with the language of the rule. There are really two standards um, at play here, a relatively permanent standard and um, the significant nexus standard that we hear all about. So that's a little bit different. I would like to say one point on the exclusion side that is causing a lot of people in agriculture some heartburn is that EPA had said, you know, we're going to really lean into this prior converted cropland exemption. Um, but the, this exemption is going to be erased if if a if a piece of land comes out of agro, agricultural production and say turns into a Walmart, um, it, it's not going to move with the land. Um, this this exemption. So there's some, in fact, discrepancies between you know even within that 514 pages, and we're trying to figure out really what does. What do the agencies intend when it comes to prior converted? Again, that's Lauren Lurkins, Director of Environmental Policy with the Illinois Farm Bureau. Well, Kansas, the country's biggest hard red winter wheat producer, still very dry. USDA data says topsoil moisture in the state was little changed from January 1 through the end of November 2022. About 43% of the state was very short on topsoil moisture and 26% was listed short on January 1. 29% of the state had adequate topsoil moisture and only 2% had a surplus. That compares with 48% very short, 25% short, and 26% adequate, and just 1% held surplus moisture on November 29th, the last 
time the government issued a crop progress report. Oklahoma, the country's number two hard red winter wheat producer, only saw 0.16 inches of rainfall in the panhandle during December. Topsoil and subsoil moisture was listed as mostly adequate to short. Arkansas, one of the country's key soft red winter wheat growers, saw moisture conditions improve with 60% surplus topsoil moisture. So again, very dry and wheat country. And that's going to be a storyline that I think we're going to be fighting with and watching here as we go through the entire growing season for uh, winter wheat here. So something to keep in mind. That's going to do it for the show today. We're out of time. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information.